Now I'd like to ask everybody to find the book of Psalms, which isn't very hard to do. It's the biggest book in the Bible. Would you find the book of Psalms, please? I am thrilled and honored to be here at Pacific West Baptist College for chapel today, uh, knowing in part how much influence my time of training before getting into the full-time ministry, how much influence it had on me. I would suggest something, several things. That's what I'm here to do is suggest things. Okay, and that would be this. Take seriously what goes through your mind. I remember I was a little old nothing person, even a freshman in chapel, and things would go through my mind that were bigger than just what was gonna happen today. But having to do with the ministry and with, um, uh, with what God's will is for the world. And you know what? A lot of those are still with me now, and I'm an old man. And I think God was talking to me. Remember Joseph had the dreams when he was a young man, which influenced him and encouraged him the rest of his life? I think God talks to you when you're young with things that you need to know. So this is going to be good, and that's the way I look at chapel today. Now, I want to ask a question. When is chapel over, actually? 12.15. That's good. That gives me 15 more minutes than I thought I did, because I'm not just a guy who rambles on and preaches for a long time, but I've got something to talk about today. Psalm 85. Psalm 85. We're going to talk during this time about revival, and uh, I pray that we'll all be influenced, not just to have a positive attitude toward the possibility of revival in our life, in our churches, and in our nation, but also it will affect our philosophy of ministry, all of our life, and our theology. I'm kind of expecting a whole lot in one chapel, but I think it's possible because I'm going to tell you what we call revival has to do with philosophy of the ministry. It has to do with um, faith. It has to do with theology. It really does in a huge way. And you know what? Uh, older and younger men in the ministry with a revival point of view will have an impact on the world. And it's really important. And as a matter of fact, the biggest problem in the churches today is a wrong point of view. <laughs> you know, people are basically orthodox, but off on important things that have to do with revival. That's why we're not seeing revival. And no revival or very little revival among the saints is why we don't have an awakening among sinners. Mm, and I, I'm glad to be in a college where there's, there's a vision, and I'm thankful for that and glad to be out there at, uh, at Anchor Baptist Church. Now, I am prepared to sign permission for you to miss church over here at Grace to be at our meetings tonight. Okay, I'm going to, I didn't ask for, I'm just kidding. I'm getting some, but I'll tell you what, I know what the preacher's preaching on tonight because I'm the preacher. And it's going to be, so you at least can pray for us. Would you do that? And we're looking for God to revive the saints over there. Now, I want to tell you also, I am going to watch that clock a little bit. I want to get the essential stuff in. I may need some of you to help me by reading other verses, maybe. We'll just see how this all goes. That has to do with you. When I'm explaining things from the Bible, I look for a light to come on in your eyes. 
I get it. So if you look dull and dumb, this might be a long chapel, that's for <laughs> sure. But I think at least you can pretend to be getting it. Okay, that will be, that'll be really good. So why don't we go ahead. Psalm 85, I'm going to read the whole thing. Okay, follow it now. Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah, he's pausing. Of course, Selah means a pause to think, you know what? With all the sins of Israel, you have forgiven them all. Wow, stop and think about that. That's great, he says. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Are you seeing something strange here? I'll bring it up in just a minute. Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. Now, revival, I'll tell you what's an important subject, a real important subject if you understand what it means. Most people in Canada and the United States who pray for revival have no idea what it is or have a wrong conception about revival having to do with the culture, with the government. Uh, you know, did you know we have political problems in the United States? A lot of Canadians pay attention to what's going down there, on down there. It's called a circus, a zoo. It's kind of wild and crazy down there. That's what's going on. But I'll tell you, revival will affect what's happening in your country and mine. But revival does, that's not what that is. It has to do with his people. See, in his churches, revival. Now, when you're thinking about revival, which I'm trying to get you to do, you got to pay attention to the covenants. Now, somebody's thinking, I thought this was going to be rousing. Now we're going to go into some deep theological... Okay, now this is very important. You got to think about the covenants. Because the chapter says that we're praying that God will revive his people. Who are the people of God? Depends on the covenant. The old covenant was between God and Israel. Okay, the nation of Israel. And it's called the old covenant. And part of our Bible is called the Old Testament. Now the Old Covenant brought to us in the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, is summed up at the end of Deuteronomy. And God says to the nation of Israel, you're not my people and I'm going to give you 
uh, special laws through Moses, and they're going to be yours. Some of them are dietary laws, laws about rituals that won't be for anyone else in the world, but they're for you. If you will pay, pay attention to the laws I give you and keep them, then I'm going to do some great things for you. I'm going to go with you into battle to conquer uh, Canaan land, and you won't lose. If I read it right, he was even telling them, you won't even have casualties. <laughs> Quite an amazing thing, the old covenant. And you'll be healthy and not sick. You'll be wealthy and not poor. I just read in Deuteronomy again today in my devotions. Amazing things he told them. Okay, Now, if you uh, get so you don't pay attention to my law anymore, or especially if you forsake me and start worshiping other gods, I, you tell me back this because you read this before. I will turn your blessings into curses. That's what I'll do. And then he tells them, I'll chasten you this way and that way and that way. But anywhere along the line, no matter how far away from me you get, if you turn back to me with all your heart, I will turn your curses back into blessings. See, that's the old covenant. But that's what revival is. Revival is the work of God where he lifts up his people to that level of faith and commitment where he can bless them again according to their covenant, to the covenant he has. Now, we're not under the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. The new covenant, I think, was predicted in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and it's expounded in Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. Yeah. And it's explained to us in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. How many chapters are there in the book of John? Okay, 21. Okay, five chapters out of 21 devoted to one talk. Did you ever notice that? Started in the upper room. Jesus had this talk with his disciples the night before he died. And he says, I'm going away. They're all troubled and sorrowful. He says, no, this isn't bad news. It's good news. When I go away, the new covenant will come into place. It'll be a new era. The greatest era for God's people the world has ever seen. Now, it'll be different kinds of blessings. It won't be about the farm. Now, incidentally, this is about the farm. Thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Yeah, and it talks about your increase. In other words, we're going to have a bumper crop every year because we got right with God. He is uh, bringing us back to where he can bless us again. Matter of fact, a, a favorite revival promise that I use is under the old covenant. It says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So said God to Solomon after the dedication of the temple. Do you know heal their land? That doesn't mean the United States. Did you know that the Lord doesn't have an American flag to the right of the throne or a Canadian flag? Heal their land doesn't mean Canada. It means the farm. Read it in the context. He says, if you have sinned and locusts come and drought and you're suffering, 
If my people were to call by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and I'll heal their land. The farm! That's the old covenant. Now we have better blessings, but based on the same thing. In the New Testament, like James chapter 4, it says this, under the new covenant, if you get away from me, he says, if you abide in me, you'll flourish. If you abide not in me, you'll wither. If you're withering on the vine as a Christian, if you'll turn back to me, New Testament says, by humbling yourselves and seeking my face, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. There you go. It's the same thing. Revival's the same with different blessings. Because you've got to pay attention to the covenant. What covenant are we under? You look like you're paying attention. Are we under the old covenant or new covenant today? Ooh, and it's a whole lot better. And it has to do with us bearing fruit. And that's talking about a harvest of souls. And that's healthy, normal Christianity. See, what we see around the world today is way below par. Something's wrong. You read John in Acts, and then you look at Vancouver, Surrey, you look at the state of Michigan, and you go, what on earth happened to Christianity? What a mess. That's why we need revival. Revival isn't something the preacher brings about. It's something God brings about. Revival is a work of God whereby he brings his people back or lifts them up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up to the place where he can bless you again like he said he would in John 13 through 17 and in the book of Acts, right? That's what that is. And yet, even though it's a work only God does, he has said throughout the Bible he will always do it if we humble ourselves and seek his face. I'm talking about always, always. The Bible teaches that revival isn't waiting on God, it's waiting on us. Not that we can work up a revival. No, no, we can't. But if we would humble ourselves and seek his face, we can see revival because God is the great reviver of his people throughout the Bible. He just will do it. Absolutely will. And uh, so I'm excited about it. And that's really what we need. That's really what we need. So we're going to take a look at this. We read this chapter and we're keeping in mind the covenant. And I want to show everybody here a few things in the revival psalm. Number one, the process. Okay, now you look like you're awake this morning. And I had coffee. Did you have coffee? So maybe our brain is actually working right now. Verses one through six is about the process of revival. But follow this. Verse one, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sins, Selah. Let me ask you, that part is about something that happened in the past, something that's going on now, or something we hope will happen in the future. Come on, you can talk. It's all in the past. Matter of fact, the next verse says this, Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Now, we're thankful because we have seen you forgive us. We have seen you uh, bless us again after we had blown it. Oh, thank you. That's great. 
Now look what he says in verse 5, 4. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wait a minute. I thought his anger already ceased. I thought he turned away his wrath. I thought he had forgiven us. Next verse. He says this. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wait a minute. I thought he quit being angry at us. Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? What are, what are we talking about here? In the past, God forgave us. God uh, began to favor us again. And now he's saying, turn us, O God, of our salvation. And cause thine anger toward us to cease. Now, here we go. Here we go again. The key is one word in verse 6. Wilt thou not revive us? What's the next word? That thy people may rejoice in thee. Okay, here's the revival process. Because of human nature, we need to be revived by God on a regular basis. You know why? Don't look at me too judgmentally because I intend to become depressed. Here's what it is. When I'm spiritual, when I'm walking with God, I tend to become carnal. When I love Jesus Christ and that love affects me every minute of the day, I tend to start loving the world. Talking about me, you don't want to have me in chapel anymore, do you? When I am obedient, I tend to become disobedient. When I'm up, I tend to go down. So I need to have my God lift me up on a regular basis. I need regular revivals. Old Testament and New Testament, I really do. How many of you make me feel better by saying, me too? Raise your hand. Okay, there's two of you. At least, okay. <laughs> so, matter of fact, Jesus said, take up your cross daily. Follow me. When I went off to college, I was a brand new Christian. I was a very weak Christian. I was sure I was going to get expelled in the first few days. I thought, now, I'm going to say something. This is the new Jerusalem on this campus. These people are holy, and I'm just barely saved. I'm called to preach, but I tell you, I, don't, I, don't, I ought not to be here. And you know what's going to happen? I'm going to say something or do something I shouldn't do, and they're going to kick me out. I was running scared every day of the week and was really praying for God to help me stay up. Okay, but we had prayer meetings in our dorm, and three rooms would get together. We'd pray. Okay, and uh, one of the first prayer meetings, the senior <laughs> said this. Now, listen, guys, you need to have devotions every day. There's a room down the hall where you can be alone, read your Bible, and pray. I'd never heard of devotions, although I was having them. After I got saved, I was encouraged to read my Bible every day, okay? You ought to have your devotions every day, and then they said this. <laughs> They said, ah, if you miss your devotions one day, you'll know it. If you skip your devotions two days in a row, your roommates will know it. And if you miss your devotions three days in a row, everybody will know it. Okay, now, you know what that's all about? Having a daily revival. Yes. See, we don't just automatically stay up. Uh-uh. Yes. Right. Oh, no, we need to be revived each day. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. And there's the process. Now watch, how about your church? When was the last time you had a for real, nobody doubts it, Holy Ghost 
biblical revival happened in your church where people walked out of the building and said, this was God. Have you ever seen this before? Whoa! God brought our church back. God was in the service. When was the last time that's happened? If it's been a long time, I guarantee you, your church needs a revival. Because the church goes down. Spiritually, if not lifted up. And you know what? If you haven't had contact with the living God in such a way that he cleansed you and lifted you up, if that hadn't happened in a long time, you need a revival. See, so there's the revival process. Number two, the revival purpose. Look at verse six. When I pray for revival, we've been doing this in prayer meetings the last few days. The prayer is, wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? I have reason to believe that God wants to answer a prayer like that. Yeah. What is that reason? Verse six. Verse six, the one about the prayer. Why is God motivated to revive us? Come on. You're allowed to talk out loud. Uh, if you get it wrong, all I'll do is mock you and ridicule you. So don't worry about that. That helps you be humble anyway. That thy people may rejoice in thee. See, in the New Testament, repeatedly it says, rejoice in the Lord that's how our salvation is done. Did you know when God works with man, he always does it in such a way that we end up rejoicing in him. See, that's why we're saved by grace through faith. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to say, boy, I'm glad I got up here. I got up here by being in the Masonic Lodge. And the good works of the Masonic Lodge got me up here. Or if I went up there and some of it was on my good works. Okay, I'd be up there boasting. The Bible says I'd be boasting. That's not how we get to heaven. When we get up there, we're going to get a chance to say, worthy is the lamb that was slain and hath redeemed us to God by his blood. Amen. Do you know how you get to heaven? In such a way, by grace through faith, that you rejoice in Jesus. Not my preacher, not my baptism, not my good works at all. That's how you live the Christian life. We've been learning that out there at Anchor. The Christian life isn't 50-50. I give it everything I got. Then I get a little help from Jesus to make up for the difference. Uh-uh. In the Christian life, Jesus said, without me, you can do very little. Do you know that verse? John 15, 5. Without me, you can do very little. Very important verse. Is that what it says? Oh, I see. You guys are a King James school, are you? Okay, I am too. You know what? Without me, you can do. You know, the Christian life, I've got an evangelist friend who has been saying in the last year, the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. Especially if you're talking about the real thing. Where not only what I do and what you see, but my motives if you love me, keep my commandments. And I can't do that. I can't come up with it. But the Holy Ghost in me can lift me up to that level. Amen. See, and it's not me. And Christian service. If you go somewhere and preach or you do some soul winning, I'm so thankful for the soul winning emphasis here. Tell you what, if something really good happens, 
If you do it the Bible way, abide in me and bear my fruit, you know what happens? You don't get any glory, even in your own mind. You would say, that couple got saved. You know what I think? Brother Turner, I think they meant it. I think they got assurance. We just saw a miracle. Wow! I'll tell you, Brother Turner, you and I are good at this. We have read the soul winning books. We know how to ask the right questions. We know how to put the foot in the door and make them pray with us. Tell you what, we got some people into heaven. Not any soul winner ever feels that way. When you see somebody pass from death unto life, you will say, it wasn't me, it was him. Yes. Okay. And you know what? That's how God does things, in such a way that his people rejoice in him. That's where prayer comes from. You know, the Lord Jesus said that your father knows what you need before you ask. So an obvious question is, why do you have to ask? It's so we rejoice in him. And sometimes when you're praying for something and it doesn't happen, sometimes God will actually pull the rug out from under you and actually make things get worse. So you're begging him for something that you really need and it doesn't look like it's going to happen, but you just keep on praying and you hang on and then God comes through. And you'll say, I know that was God. Whoa, some of the greatest experiences on planet Earth is when our faith is tried and God proves himself that thy people. Now watch this. What about revival? Let's say your church. What if your pastor went off somewhere to a seminar and he came back and you know what he had done? He had been to a conference where he learned how to double the church in six weeks. And the offerings We're going to have the biggest offerings we ever had. And he met with the deacons, and he had material from the conference, and a book to read. And the deacons are reading it. And they're going to do a lot of things different, and we're going to have a huge church with big offerings. And then in six weeks, guess what happens? You've doubled your attendance, and your offerings are enormous. You know what will happen? You'll say, I'm sure glad the preacher went to that conference. I'm glad the deacons read that book. Man, oh man, our church is a lot better off because of that book and that conference and because of the changes we made. That's not what God wants. You know what God wants? God wants us to get desperate and say, dear God, too many of our young people are going into sin. Too few of them are answering the call. Too many times... We don't have the money to pay for the things you've led us to do. We ought to get desperate and say, oh God, we've got to have you come through. (laughs) Oh Lord. And you know, if you've ever been in a church where they saw a real revival, you know what happens afterwards? People say, that was God, Peter. (laughs) That was God. That was not manipulation. That was not a new method. That wasn't even your sermons. That was God. That was God. That was God. Whoa. And I'll tell you what, his people rejoice in him. Amen. <laughs> See, it was God. And that's what God likes. Which means that when I pray to God for a real revival in my church or in his family in Canada, I have the ear of God. And I, I want to be reverent. 
The angel Gabriel says, you know what? They're barking up your tree, Father. That's what you've wanted all along. And we can expect something. Then verse 6 is a prayer. It says, wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee. I love the way it's worded. It's worded in such a way where you expect an answer. It says, wilt thou not revive us again? Surely you will. You've done it before. Won't you do it? Why wouldn't you do this? It's as if the person praying is expecting something to happen. A lot of people who pray for revival have no hope. They just think it's right to pray for revival in dark days like this. But I'm going to tell you, we got a lot of hope. And we have every reason to believe that the God of the Bible will revive his people. Oh, yes. And we get stuck on all kinds of false doctrines like the last days. These are the end times. Didn't you know, Brother Flanders, that there is an expiration date on the promises for revival? Don't you know that God doesn't do that anymore? We just hang on and wait for the rapture. Tell you what, you're not reading your Bible. That's not the way this goes. Matter of fact, the Lord Jesus' famous place. Lo, I am with you until 1948. And uh, then the end times come and I'll never do any of this again. Book of Acts ends in 1948. He never said that. That's false teaching by independent Baptists. And you know what? We ought to look up to God and expect to see revival when we ask for it. Now watch. Revival itself is a metaphor. Who could tell me what a metaphor is? You went to school, didn't you? What's a metaphor? I was in a place where I said, what's a metaphor? And somebody said, well, it's a pasture where cows graze. What's a metaphor? I didn't think it was funny either. What is it? Tell me back. You, didn't you finish high school? You, you're in college. Come on. What's a metaphor? Figure of speech. It's a word picture. And revive is such a thing. Okay. We use the word revive. That's what happens at the emergency room. Somebody here grabbed their chest and fell on the floor. We'd probably uh, shorten chapel. Okay. And, you know, we take you off to the emergency room. What do they do for you over there? They resuscitate you. They revive you. Okay. That's exactly what they do. And by definition, revival is something you can't do for yourself. That's why we have to take you to the emergency room. See, if I walked up to the old man who fell down and he's laying on the ground barely breathing and I kicked his shoe and I said, look, you're ruining chapel. Hey, buddy, get up, start breathing, get your color back. I don't know what you're trying to do. You're trying to get attention. If I did that, I'll tell you, I would not be popular. Because by definition, when you need to be revived, you need help. So now watch. The picture of revival is somebody in a desperate situation crying out for help. That's why revival comes in answer to prayer. Old Testament and New Testament. Sometimes people have the idea that if I get in trouble with God, I've got to get myself out. You know what? In the sermon I heard, 
I found out I'm carnal and not spiritual. I live according to my flesh. So I need to follow the directions of the sermon, point one, two, three, four, and get on carnal. We have the idea that if we've gotten ourselves into trouble, we need to get ourselves out. And that God up there with an angry look on his face is saying, are you ever going to straighten out? But did you know throughout the Bible there's such a thing as a person, a child of God, uh, getting so deep in the hole they can't get themselves out? Where we're down in the hole, and I say, God, I'm carnal, and I don't know how to get uncarnal. I listen to the sermon, but I don't know how to do this. Help! Help! Like a guy drowning, calling for a light card. Help! I'm so worldly, I don't know how to be unworldly. I'm, I want to do whatever I should do, but I sure need help. Did you know the Bible teaches that God will reach down and pull you out of the hole? Amen. And I don't have time to do that. Throughout the Bible, you can get desperate where you say, what's wrong with me is something I can't fix, but my father can fix it. See, it's a metaphor, which means that the way you get revival is you pray for it just like it's always happened. In Canada and the United States, for example, there have been great revivals that hit the history books. There were revivals yesterday in individual lives right in this community. Revivals happen all the time. But the big ones that hit the history books get our attention, and they all come in answer to prayer. I'm going to review this just a little bit. In the 1700s, down in my country, the United States, there was a great awakening that was connected with the evangelical revival in England. Wesley, Whitfield. Whitfield crossed the ocean over and over again, preached over here, may have preached in Canada also, with a great many people saved and with God's people being lifted up to the New Testament level. I was at a college one time teaching history of revival, and I was sitting at a table for lunch. And one of the students, I was actually having an intelligent conversation with a college student at lunch. That was very unusual experience. So intelligent conversation. He said, now, uh, you're teaching history of revival. That's right, Dr. Flanders. And I said, yeah. You know what the word is? The word is that you think the Great Awakening was just Christians coming back to New Testament Christianity. That that's just the book of Acts. That's all the book Great Awakening was. I said, you know what? That sums up what I think. It's exactly. So that's what was happening down there. The Great Awakening in America affected Canada. Have you ever heard of Henry Allen? You have, good for you. He was from Rhode Island, affected by the Great Awakening. After the Great Awakening fizzled in the U.S., you'll be glad to hear the reason why. Main reason it did was the Christian people got off revival matters, prayer, evangelism, and got onto the controversy with the mother country that led to the uh, War of Independence, okay, and killed the Great Awakening, okay. But Henry Allen was led of the Lord to go north. He came to Nova Scotia and the Maritimes and preached the gospel. And to this day, there are monuments for Henry Allen's preaching. And Baptist churches were started everywhere. And so many people came to Christ 
and there was a great harvest of souls from a man who came from my country to yours. But you know how that happened? People were praying. They were saying, you know what, Lord? Book of John, book of Acts, that's not what's going on here. Why not? Oh God, teach me to abide in you and bear your fruit. They cried out to God. There were prayer meetings. And you know what? The awakenings happened. The great awakening. The second great awakening. You know how they got it down there? Uh, several factors after the United States became independent uh, worked against the spiritual life of our new country. A big ones. And if I was an American and had more time, I'd tell you what they were. And uh, people were scared that our country was going to be the most ungodly country in the world. And then there were two Baptist leaders, Isaac Backus and Stephen Gano, who heard that they prolonged the evangelical awakening in England by doing something. They got word about this from Scotland. So they wrote a letter that was sent to all the churches in our new country. Okay, it's called in history the circular letter. I've got a copy of it. The circular letter said this, the Great Awakening is over and our country is going right down the tubes. And morally and spiritually, we are doomed unless something happens. So the letter suggested that once a quarter on a Tuesday, all the churches gather down at their meeting house and have an all-day prayer meeting maybe fast and prayer, and ask for another awakening. Well, by the time 1795 came on, it came to one Tuesday a month instead of once a quarter. And down there in the States, if you came into any town uh, in 1795, on a certain Tuesday, there were wagons and horses and people down at the churches begging God for an awakening. And you know what that brought about? The Second Great Awakening, which in the United States was the longest-lasting national revival in modern times. Fifty years. Well, how did it come? They asked for it. They begged for it. And Gabriel said, Father, they're barking up your tree. That's what you want to do. And it was just amazing. Second Great Awakening... And then it fizzled about the 1840s. Then in the 1850s, there was a movement in Canada and in the United States of Christians to have prayer meetings for another revival. Not a big movement. It's actually kind of a small movement. But did you know God answers people's prayers? 1857, Hamilton, Ontario. One of the most powerful revivals the world has ever seen. Hamilton, Ontario! I'd been there for a revival meeting. We drove around to see, see some of the sites where it occurred. Started with the Methodists, and the Baptists and Presbyterians were there. So many people were saved. And in America, you know what they were saying? God's hearing our prayers. Did you hear what happened up there at Hamilton? And you know it was called the prayer revival. Lasted a couple years. Affected Great Britain also. And you know what? Secular historian calls the prayer revival, 1857-1858, the event of the century. And nothing in the 1800s can be explained apart from the prayer revival, where 
small groups of people in Canada and the United States would pray for a revival. Then after the American Civil War came what I call the era of mass evangelism, where Christian people got the idea, you know what it looks to me in the Bible and from our experience, like God will work with us. If we'll get on his page, he'll work with us to evangelize the world. Acts 1.8. I saw that somewhere up here. Where's Acts 1.8? That's the program. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. I saw it in here somewhere. Okay, right over here. Okay, Acts 1.8. There we go. Okay, if we get with the program, God will work with us. So all over Canada and the United States, Christians in towns would say, we're going to conquer our city. They would work together and plan a year ahead of time for a meeting where we would get all the lost people in this town out to hear an evangelist. God gave them gifted evangelists all over our countries. And uh, they would not have an auditorium big enough so during that year, the men of the churches would build an auditorium. They call them tabernacles. Now, I'm sure none of you know what this is. But in Nashville, there's a place called the Grand Old Opry. I'm sure you never heard of it. Okay. The Grand Old Opry meets in a Sam Jones tabernacle started by Christian people for the Sam Jones meetings. And you know what? Canada had this heart too, you know. Acts 1-8, we can work with God and reach our town. They were having a revival meetings, I think it was 1888. Somebody got the new prime minister of Canada, MacDonald, your first prime minister, to come out. He was a rough living, a hard drinking, vile, foul-mouthed man and was probably chosen because of that. Canadians kind of liked a guy like him, but he was not a Christian, not godly. People got him out to the meetings. The evangelist named a Canadian named Hunter. This was during the time in the States of D.L. Moody. Hunter would preach and there was a man who was with him as he traveled to lead songs. And in a prominent place, the new prime minister would sit night after night, and then one night, he made it public that he was accepting Jesus Christ Amen. as his savior. Mm. And MacDonald's life was transformed, and he was very public about his transformation and the fact that he was ashamed of the way he used to live. What an amazing thing. You know what? That's about the history of Canada, but it's also about revivals. Yes. It's about Christianity coming back to what it's supposed to be a saving, rescuing message going around and bringing people to Christ, even prominent people. It's an amazing thing. And I got a whole lot more I could tell you, but I'll do this a little bit. In the 20th century, there were revivals in the U.S., still are, in Canada. Do you know about 1971, Saskatoon? Almost any group of Canadians knows something about it. How many of you know anything about the revival in Saskatoon, 1971? Raise your hand. Started in a Baptist church. Then it was seven or eight weeks, thousands of people. Started out with Christian people getting right with God. Did you know Christian people need to get right with God? 
They were getting right with God. They were getting right with each other. They were paying people back things that they owed. Some of them were going to the police and confessing to crimes. And the city was so much. Now, there's some things that we could be critical of it. Oh, that's what we do. Fundamental Baptists are critical of things. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, it was a great revival. And 1971 is not long ago. And you can meet people who were affected by the 1971 Sestun revival. How did it come about? Prayer. See, we can pray. Wilt thou not revive us? Lord, it's not what we've seen in the past. It's not history. It's this. Would you do this? Would you show us our part? Oh God, will thou not revive us again? Your name is being slandered by what a poor representation we are of New Testament Christianity. Oh God, bring us back. And I'm going to tell you, people just exactly like you and me have desperately cried out to God and seen it happen. Wow. It's amazing. Then the last thing is verses 8 through uh, 13, and I'm not going to read them, but these are the products. And you know what the products listed here, many times when you read in the book of Psalms, it'll use a term that has an Old Testament meaning and a New Testament meaning. You know, uh, uh, the Old Testament in the book of Psalms will refer to the... Uh, Israelites being brought out of Egypt as their redemption. You know the word redeem means to pay a price to set somebody free? Matter of fact, I don't know what the rabbis thought that was. We were redeemed in what way? What price was paid? We were taken out of bondage. I don't know, but I'll tell you what, that Old Testament word redemption has a fuller meaning to New Testament Christians. The price was the blood of Christ. We were redeemed. Wow. And you go down through there. Verse 8, there's peace. Jesus, the night before he died, said, I'm going to leave you peace. You know what? One of the bad signs in the churches of our day is that a whole lot of church members are popping pills just to stay sane. Going down to the doctor, getting a prescription so they won't be depressed. Did you know that's not normal Christianity? Peace I leave with you. Wow. And uh, nine, glory. Glory in Israel. But you know what? In Ephesians 3, it says, glory in the church. <laughs> glory in the church. And the glory comes back. You know, I know back in my country, they don't talk about the glory days. They talk about the 60s and 70s. No, no. The glory days of the book of Acts. See, when God was real in the churches and nothing could be explained except for God. Verse 10 is a balance. Balance. Uh, what it says, mercy and truth. Did you know mercy and truth are opposites? A merciful person doesn't necessarily hold to the truth. Now that's bad. In Vancouver, there are mercy churches and there are truth churches. There are mercy churches where uh, they will greet you, they'll welcome you, uh, come as you are, leave as you were. 
You know, and they don't require a lot out of you, mercy churches, and they don't represent the true God. And there are truth churches, and they use the right Bible, and they have the right standards, and they're right down the line. But I'll tell you what, if you don't have enough groceries, don't expect anybody to help you in that church. See, truth, no mercy, that doesn't represent the true God either. either. But the balance, you know when the balance comes, mercy and truth? When God revives us, we're full of the Holy Ghost. Then verse 11, agreement about heaven and earth in agreement. Jesus said to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, verse 12, fruit, thine increase. For uh, the old covenant, that was talking about the farm, okay, a bumper crop. But for us, John chapter 15, it's talking about souls, much fruit. You abide in me and you'll bear my fruit. Wow. And then righteousness, verse 13. And it says in there that it'll set us in the way of our steps. The rabbis would look at that and say, steps. Does Jehovah have steps? Does he have feet? Does he walk? How is it that God will set us in the way of his steps? But we New Testament people understand that because God became a man. And we're talking about the steps of Jesus. We're talking about a man like you living like Jesus Christ, which will take a miracle, but it's doable. It's, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's Christianity. And it happens when we're revived, resuscitated, brought back to health. And God will do that when we humble ourselves and pray. Let's all bow our heads in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for the revivals happening all over the world, including Canada, at this very day. We'd like to see more extensive and powerful and bigger revivals. And Lord, we'd certainly like to see a revival in our own life and church. Lord, put on our hearts the men and women right in this room the desperation for revival that will lead us to pray. And Lord, may we see you work like it says in John and Acts that you will. That's our prayer and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.